Alright, so look at what it says in verse 18 of 2 Peter chapter 3, the very last verse of the book of 2 Peter. It says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And if you remember, last Sunday night, I ended the message with this verse right here. And for the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about the law and which Old Testament laws that we should follow. And while... I try to just teach some basic principles when it comes to understanding how the law works today. You know, there was a, there's absolutely no way we could go over every single one of these Old Testament laws and say, do it today, don't do it today. You know, applies doesn't. Apply. You know, ho- hopefully, I gave you some things to help you uh, whenever you're reading those Old Testament laws to understand them. But one of the reasons that I don't want to obsessively go over each law and us debate about which ones we should be following or not is because of the fact that I I don't think that's beneficial to do that. I don't think it's necessary to do that because the fact is, you know, we are under grace today. We are under grace. And once again, that Old Testament law, it just condemns us. It reminds us of, you know, all, all the areas where we failed and we need that to bring us to Jesus Christ. But once we have come to Jesus Christ, once we have been saved, we ought to keep our focus on Him. What we ought to be focused on doing as New Testament believers today is walking in the Spirit. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Because if I have the Spirit of God, I'm going to have the fruits of the Spirit. And against the fruits of the Spirit, against such, there is no law. So the law will take care of itself if I'm walking in the Spirit. And we have a responsibility to do that. And so if we're going to become people, uh, if we're going to become Christians like we need to, it's important that we grow in grace. And I'm going to be talking about a few concepts here over the next few weeks. I hate dragging things out real long, but I've, there's been so much I've wanted to cover. I've just kind of had to turn on in a series and just try to at least teach one small truth a week instead of just trying to cram it all in and you guys get none of it. All right, so hopefully you'll get these basic things I'm trying to show you. But the, uh, the title of my message tonight is True Grace Versus False Grace. Because what I've been teaching the last few weeks when it comes to the law, a lot of trendies would agree with some of that. A lot of trendies, if you listen to Pastor Trendy, you know, up there in his skinny jeans behind his you know, glass pulpit in his pink shirt, he's going to say a lot of things that are right. Enough that makes him dangerous. And a lot of times, I've heard the trendies, I mean, absolutely school the old IFB on certain doctrine when it comes to grace and even when it comes to the gospel. But these trendies, they're adding some leaven into this grace teaching that just it, that ruins it. And so they say enough stuff right to make themselves dangerous. And I want us to learn tonight how to understand the difference between true grace and false grace, okay? Because there is a false grace movement that's out there that's totally perverting what grace is. And we need to be able to tell the difference. So before we do that, let me just kind of summarize a few things about the Old Testament law that we've looked at in the, first, in the last few weeks. So first off, I believe that the Old Testament law is 100% good, it's holy, righteous, and just. 100% of that. I believe that. I believe, though... It's impossible to get saved by keeping the law. Because in order for us to get saved by the law, we have to keep 100% of it, and none of us can do that. We're not capable of doing that. But I do need the law to show me that I am a sinner. We need the law. We need to preach the law so people will see that they're guilty, that they need a Savior, and they will realize that Jesus Christ is the only one capable. He's the only one who could possibly save anyone from their sins. People cannot know that without the law. It's impossible. So I, and I still need the law as a Christian today to teach me more about God, to teach me what pleases God, and to help me know what is holy. I need the law to help teach me my doctrine. And we still need the law also to remind us of the consequences of sin. That's another thing that the New Testament spells out for us. It often refers back to Sodom and Gomorrah. It refers back to the children of Israel in the wilderness. And it says these things were for our example. 
or our example. These were for us. We are supposed to look at those things and be a reminder, that's what happens to those who should live ungodly. So we need the law for those things. These are warnings. These are reminders. We also need the law to help us as a society know what to do with those who harm others. Because we can't just all sit around with smiles on our faces and pink shirts and say, we're under grace, we're under grace. You know, let's love the homos, let's love the pedophiles, let's love the murderers, let's love the thieves. We have to do something about those people. They're hurting others. They're destroying life. And as a society, we're supposed to do something about it. So what are we supposed to do? Old Testament tells us exactly what we're supposed to do. And we need that. We need that example. We need those principles. So, it's important that we understand that the law helps us with that. And as a church, and as a Christian though, we do not need to obsess over the law because we are under grace. And if I may just bring up something that just irritates me, all right. Now, I don't. Sometimes I'm like, why do I get on Facebook? You know, I use it to try to promote things, promote the church, you know, promote my teaching, aggravate people. Uh, you know, all all those things. All right. You know, spread government conspiracies and things like that. All right. You know, I I, I have fun with that. But at the same time, some of the stupidity that's on there, it's like, you know, how do we live in such a dumb world? And this is just a pet peeve of mine. And you know. I'm not a leader of any group, so I don't police things, but sometimes I'm just like, you know, one of these days I'm just going to tell these people they're idiots. But one thing that aggravates me that people do, and if you've ever done this, all right, I'm sorry, I don't know of anybody here that's done this, so I'm not picking on anybody in here. But when they go in these Facebook groups and they ask, is it a sin to do this or this? Alright? Now, first of all, if you have to ask the question, is this a sin? Let me just answer it for you. Yes. Because whatsoever is not a faith is sin. So if you think this might be wrong, it's a sin for you. Okay? So just you know, mark it down. It, you know, yeah, it's a sin. Don't do that. You know, should I go to this place? You know, is it a sin to watch this movie? You know, yes, for you it is a sin because obviously you don't know it. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Okay? But why do people do that? Here, here's you say, well, what's wrong with that? You know, should we know if things are sins or not? Here's why people do that. Nobody gets on there and says, hey, is what I'm doing a sin? Because let me tell you something. If you're saved, if you have the Holy Spirit, it's not hard to figure out what's a sin or not. It is not hard. Let me tell you something. I dare you to go to God in prayer and go to your Scriptures and ask Him if something that you're involved in is a sin. He's going to show you so fast it's not even going to be funny. Most of us are scared to ask because we are afraid of what the answer is going to be. It's just the same thing. If your kid, you know, how often do your kids go to you and say, Mom and Dad, am I allowed to do this? If, if they have to ask, alright, usually they don't ask. Why? Because they know what the answer is probably going to be. And when I was a kid, there were things I didn't often ask my parents if it was a sin because I knew the answer was probably going to be yes or, you know, am I allowed to do this? I like to just plead ignorance and play dumb. Okay? But let me tell you why people ask is something a sin. Okay? It's because if, if I was, you know, if I'm one of these people, I'm going to get up and ask if something's a sin. It's because me and Aaron have had an argument about it. You know, maybe you know he thinks it's okay to dip snuff. You know, and I think it's not okay. And I don't have any Bible to prove it or anything. And so I, we're having an argument about it. He's in the same Facebook group I am. So I'm going to go on there and I'm going to put a poll or something on there. Is it a sin to dip snuff? Okay. Now why am I doing that? Is it because I just really want to know for myself or because I want to show Aaron how many people are against him? Hey, look how many people in the group is on my side. You know, especially if it's one of those polls where you can see who voted. Hey, all the pastors voted on my side. I'm right, you're wrong. You know why we ask if things are sins like that? Is so we can condemn somebody else. That's why we do that. And that kind of thing is foolish. And people come into churches all the time. And you know, one of the little girls in the church is wearing a Minnie Mouse shirt. You know, so Pastor Tommy, is it is, is any all Disney movie sin? If you think it's a sin, yes. Cause so don't watch it. 
But why are you asking me that? It's not because you care. It's not because you're concerned. It's because you're aggravated that somebody else's little girl in the church is wearing a Minnie Mouse shirt when your daughter wants to wear a Minnie Mouse shirt, but you don't want a letter because your judgmental friends will be down on you for doing that. And you know what? Yeah, Disney's full of conspiracies, and yeah, there's a 666 in the Disney name, but you know what? Mickey Mouse is still cool, alright? You know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not. I'm half, but I still like Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas, alright? But anyway, I'm making myself look carnal. But, you know, when we get all caught up in stuff like that, just understand you've, you've missed the boat somewhere. You're not understanding some things. Trying to bring up law to condemn other people with. Okay? And what we're supposed to be doing as Christians is walking in the Spirit. And if we're walking in the Spirit, going against the law is not going to be a problem. Okay? So, but the false grace crowd, they often teach these things that are similar, but the differences are very dangerous. You know, one thing they do, and I've talked about this before, I'm not going to talk a lot about this, they act like everyone's under grace. They use dispensationalism when they need it or doctrines of dispensationalism. And they're like, well, we're in the age of grace, so therefore the law does not matter. No, the law is what condemns us. You are not in the dispensation of grace until you get saved. If you're not saved, you're under the law. You are condemned by the law. When you stand before God, you're going to be judged by the law and you're going to go to hell for breaking the law. So the trendies are the trendies have got it wrong. Not everybody's under grace. That homo is not, he's under the law, and we all know what Leviticus twenty thirteen says. We all, we all know that, and he is in trouble because of that. Even if you believe he can get saved, understand he is still in trouble because that law applies to him because he is under the law. And we and the the trendies they've missed that. They've just completely missed the boat. In the old IFB, they don't know how to correct these guys because they can't give up their beloved dispensationalism. So the, the old IFB, they look like you know brain dead morons high on pot trying to you know debunk these trendies with the scriptures. They can't do it. You know, it, it's like it's watching the old IFB try to debunk the trendies is like trying to watch the old IFB fight a Calvinist with Romans nine. They don't know how to do it. Because you know, they can't give up their precious Zionism. So we can't depend on the... The, the old IFB is going to continue putting out skinny jean wearing trendies and they're never going to stop. They're never going to stop. They've got a few punks that are out there today, young guys trying to fight against the trendies, but they're wrong on doctrine too. They're trying to defeat them with dispensationalism and trash like that and they're never going to succeed. They're always going to fail. But they act like everyone's under grace whether saved or lost. That's false. And because the law doesn't save, they refuse to teach the law, making it impossible for someone to see their need for a Savior. So they're shooting themselves in the foot. And also, in order to not be offensive, they often join in with those who are critical of the law. And we've seen that. Pastors criticizing the law. Criticizing it. Acting like it's Sharia law. Acting like you're siding with Muslims if you like Leviticus 20.13, what are they doing? They're trying to fit in. They don't want to look bad. They're embarrassed by the law. We can't be embarrassed by the law. We're not going to get anybody saved. That law is what condemns them. And so their disregard, their ignorance of the law, it causes them to produce very carnal congregations. And when it comes to the trendies, it always leads to full-blown lasciviousness. Every single time. So how can we identify... True grace preachers. How can we tell the difference between true grace and false grace? Because you have two crowds out there today. You've got the old IFB that's teaching repent of your sins, trash, teaching if you didn't turn over a new leaf or if you didn't repent of your sins, you didn't really get saved. And then you have the trendies that are out there that say some things that sound pretty good, that say some things along the lines of the Gospel that sound pretty good, but yet you look at their congregations and it looks just like the world. they got immorality in there. they got long-haired hippies up on the stage. they got girls up there in miniskirts. They're singing worldly music. I mean, just earthly, sensual, and devilish junk going on in their services. Clearly turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. So how do you tell the difference? Not so much by how they look, because if it's by how they look, then we all got to go with the repent of your sins old IFBs. You know, but they're wrong too. We don't want to go that way. 
You know, so we don't want to just we don't want to just go off looks. We want to go off doctrine. And there are some things that I think will help. And it's important that we understand these things because while you know we're a church that's not afraid to talk about the law, preach about the law, go to the Old Testament, we don't want to become Pharisees and forget about grace. We don't want to forget about that. And thank God for grace. And often I'm afraid, especially in the old IFP, they're afraid to preach about grace because they don't want to look like the trendies. Alright? And it'll help if they just don't wear skinny jeans and things like that. But, you know, on, on, you know I understand, but they don't even want to sound like them. And it's like they're even afraid of the word grace. But folks, grace, we're in big trouble without grace. How, how do I know that? Because I've studied the law. You got you. You're never going to understand grace. You're never going to appreciate grace without studying the law. You have to do that. So, first thing I want to show you is that false grace preachers they teach they teach behavior that goes against the law of God. All right, look what it says in Jude one and verse. Uh, let me turn over. I don't know if it's, I think I wrote the, I think I wrote the wrong verse down. I think it's verse four. Jude 1 and verse 4. It says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the old Lord, only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will, put, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, Destroy them that believe not. And then he goes on, he gives all these examples of people that God destroyed in the Old Testament. And he's warning us in the New Testament about what God did in the Old Testament. Why? Because God still feels the same way about this immorality. But these people who crept in unawares, right, that have turned the grace of God into lasciviousness, what that means, they have, these are people that are teaching others to take advantage of the grace of God. Because of the fact we are not uh, we are not condemned by the law anymore, because we are saved without the deeds of the law, they are actually encouraging people to basically take advantage and say, you know what? Go ahead. Alright, yeah, you're living in fornication. I'm not going to judge you by that. We're under grace. But God sure judges people because of that. He killed thousands of His people in the wilderness because of that. And that's supposed to be an example to us. God hates fornication. He's always hated it. He still hates it. But yet, you got these people out there today, you know, don't sweat it. You're under grace. Oh, you know, you're still drinking. You know, oh, you know, you eat trans fats. Uh, not quite the same thing. You know, hey, we're under grace. Who are we to judge? It's not that I'm judging. It's just, this is what the Bible says. It's not like I came up with these rules out of thin air. It's not like I'm just picking what I like and what I don't like. No, these are things the Bible spelled out. The Bible spelled it out that we're not supposed to have fornicators among us. We're not supposed to have drunkards among us. So we are, we, in fact, we have been commanded to judge these things in the church. Okay? We haven't been, you know, commanded to judge what everybody's watching on television. And you shouldn't watch junk on television. But we've not been commanded to judge all these things, yet those are the things everybody wants to judge. It, there, but there are some things that God specifically said to judge, and so we're going to judge those things. But the trendies day, they don't judge anything. Now, they do judge you if you judge. Right? They're hypocrites there. But they're not going to judge anybody sinning who's doing something that violates the law of God. And so not only do they not preach against these things, but they often set a bad example themselves. And one of the first things that first things that all trendies do when they go full trendy, all right, when they embrace full trendyism, the first thing they all do is they have their wife start cross-dressing. That's all there is to it. All right? First thing they do, I mean, they post them pictures of their wife on social media and a pair of pants and things. They do. Why? Why, why are they doing that? Because dressing like a lady makes some people uncomfortable. And so what do they got to do? They got to promote. We don't judge here. And let, if you're going to let the ladies wear, you know, do that, might as well let the guys wear the skirts. Alright? They're not ready to go that far yet, but as soon as society does, they'll, be, they'll go right along with it. You know, Pastor Polkadot, 
he had a picture you know, of their ministry group. And then one guy, I mean, long hair, down to the shoulders. And he's like, I'm not going you know, to judge. You don't have to judge, all right? God already said it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Okay? That's easy. Okay? There's, there's things that just aggravate me, okay? I'm not going to say what some of these things I'm thinking of one thing right now. There, because it'll sound so petty, but I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not even going to go there, all right? There, there's, there's certain items I've seen a lot of men wear. Nobody in here wears this. Whenever I see it, it creeps me out, and I always think they're a pervert. There, and there was a guy, he, was, uh, he worked with one of these Bible college groups. And we had this Bible college in, group in here before. And I remember they had a new guy that was traveling with them. And I saw him at a youth conference, and he was wanting to schedule their group to come through here again. And I'm, I'm looking at this guy, and he's like, you know, you know, what, I, you know I, I come with him now, and I do the preaching and everything. And I'm looking at this guy, and he had this... He's wearing this particular item that just creeped me out every that did it. And I'm just looking at him, I'm thinking, I would never tell somebody, you can't preach at my church because you wear this. I would sound so petty and pathetic. But I thought it. I was like, you look like a perv. And you know what? The guy turned out to be a perv. The guy's a pervert. And so, I mean, you said, you know, that's terrible. There's another guy, uh, I, I can tell all kinds of stories. I'm telling you, there's this, there's this one thing people wear. I'm not going to say it publicly because I will look so petty and so pathetic and I'm sure there's an exception out there. And I refuse to be out there online as just condemning everybody who wears a specific item of being a pervert. Because I guarantee there's exceptions out there. But it bothers me. It creeps me out. don't like it. But you all understand, if I was to get up and start judging that and throwing people out of the church for that, that would be wrong. Because that's my own judgment. Okay? But there are some things that God already judged for us. So as far as I'm concerned, even though it is okay for us to judge some things, I'm not even judging that situation. Okay? I don't have to, it, I, I'm not making a judgment. I mean, I am, but I'm not. If we throw a fornicator out of the church. God already told us to do that. So there's really no judgment to make. There's no question. It's just, this is, this is what we do. God already made the judgment for us. So we are when we judge, it's just us basically agreeing to God's judgment. Amen. That's all we're doing. And so when these people don't do it, they are judging to disagree with God's judgment. And that, while saying we don't judge, but they're judging and they're judging against the Word of God, that's wrong. And so and they're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And you know, there's always those who abuse a good thing. And that's what they're doing. Because grace is a good thing. They're basically teaching that grace means there's no cost for sin. But, I think it was on the radio program this morning I was talking about this. There is an earthly consequence for sin. There's no doubt about that. There is an earthly consequence. There is the chastening hand of God. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. And verse 26. See, Jude is using these examples... In the Old Testament, he's reminding us about these things as a warning to us. In the New Testament, he's warning us. Do you remember what God did to His children in the Old Testament? This is a warning for you. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, it says, For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and a fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye should be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified and unholy thing and hath done despite to the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So, I want you to point out a couple things here. First, you know, the context of this passage is Israel who is, many of them, willfully rejected the New Testament. And I do believe when it came to this generation with these people, they were the people of God, but when they rejected the Messiah, they ceased being the people of God and they died and they went to hell. Okay? Those of us today, when we become the people of God, it's when we get saved, we can never cease being the people of God. 
And nobody who was ever saved in the Old Testament ever ceased becoming the people of God either. When we talk about that, refer back to my Hebrew series. But what I, said, I, I read all that to show you that the Bible is teaching here clearly the Lord shall judge His people. God will deal with those of us who are His children. Okay? We'll never go to hell, but we will suffer uh, chastisement here on this earth. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible spells it out for us. This is a promise of God. It says, And have ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children? My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of Him. Now why would God rebuke us? Aren't we under grace? Think about that for a minute. Why, If we're just under grace and the law doesn't matter anymore, why would God rebuke us? It's because we're violating His law. We're going against the Word of God. For who it says, And it says, Despise not now thou the chastening. Don't get mad at God when you're chastening, or when He's chastening you. Okay? It's good for you. Don't be mad when He's rebuking you. He's trying to fix you. He's trying to correct you. He's trying to make things better. For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. That's what good parents do. If a man who loves his son is going to chasten him, if he hates him, he's not going to chasten him. He will spare the rod. He says, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom his father chasteneth not? But if he be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection under the Father's spirits and live, for they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but He for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. He's chastening us so we'll be more like Him. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, nevertheless afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So, that chastening... Okay, that's a consequence. That's a consequence for sin. Now, <clears throat> I don't want to get chastened. So how do I avoid chastening? I obey the Bible. I obey the law. I don't take advantage of the grace of God. My kids know I'm not going to disown them. My kids know I'm not going to quit loving them. But is that an excuse for them to just go around breaking every rule in our house? You know, my kids, are, you know, they're all under 18. I legally can't throw them out of the house. So does that give them the right to just go doing whatever they want? No. They don't have the right to do that. And that would be very wicked for them to do that. And if they do that, they will be chastened by me. Because I love them. And when we go and we're just breaking all of God's rules, no regard for God's rules because we have eternal security. Just understand, we have eternal security, but God's going to chasten us. God's going to deal with us as with sons. That, my friends, is a consequence. And yet, you've got these people today out there basically encouraging people to do things that's going to get them chastened by God. Why would we do that? Why would we promote that kind of thing in the church? There's stuff that if you all are doing it, it will get our church chastened. And that's why we're supposed to put certain people out of the congregation. Some sins are so bad that if it's even a part of our congregation, even if it's only one person doing it, God will judge our church. And I prefer to skip that. I prefer to not have that. And if we judge ourselves, then we won't have to be judged by God. And just like with my kids, I want my kids to be able to govern themselves. You guys figure out how to get along in this game. You know, you guys figure out. You know, stop making me come and enforce all these rules. Okay? Whenever the kids start saying, "Dad, you know, close doing this," you know, "Dad," I was, when they start doing that, when I have to go and I have to govern everything they do, you know what the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take away all their fun. You know, if I have to dictate every little thing you do, prepare to be miserable. You know, learn to govern yourselves. Learn how to get along. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. And as a church, we need to learn to govern ourselves. We need to learn to deal with these things. And if we have somebody in our church that's unruly, that's going, to, that's doing the things that the Bible says should get you thrown out of the church, 
We should do something about it. That's not our time to go home and pray and say, Lord, will you please judge so and so? Alright? Like a little kid tattling the parent. That's not what we do. Not when it's something that should get them thrown out of the church. We are just supposed to judge it. But what do churches do today? They haven't, they haven't got the guts. They haven't got the stomach to throw somebody out of the church. They don't want to look bad. They don't want them saying something about it on social media. So what do they do? They just go tattling to God. Alright, we're going to have a special prayer meeting. Pray the Lord will get this person's heart right. No, God didn't tell us to pray for them in that situation. He told us to throw them out of the church. And then we can pray for them. And when we pray for them, we're not even praying you know, for the Lord to just be... We're praying for them to be restored. We're praying for them to get right. You know, we're, we're, that's what we're praying for. We're trying to benefit. We're trying to benefit people when we throw them out of the church because we want them to get right with God, and we don't want to suffer as a congregation. Because if you go back and you look in the Old Testament, we have examples like Achan, who sinned, and the congregation was judged. Some of the examples to talk about with the fornication, there's only certain people doing it, but the whole congregation was judged, and so. There are some things God wants us judging and churches today are not doing it. And what do they all want to talk about? They all want to talk about grace. Uh, we're under grace. I'm sorry, you're not reading a whole lot of the New Testament. You're teaching perverted grace is what you're teaching. That is not grace that they're teaching. So, all these things that we've been talking about that will get us chastened, it's us violating the law. So turn over to Titus chapter 2. So the false grace preachers teach behavior or they're going to encourage behavior that goes against the law of God. And most of the time, they're not going to preach behavior that goes against the law of God. They're not going to get up and encourage... You know, these, you know, these skinny jean preachers, they're not going to get up and encourage their guys to be effeminate. They're not going to get up and do a lesson. Alright guys, let me show you how to be effeminate. Alright, let me show you how to talk with a higher voice. Let me show you how to stand around brisk. You know, let me show you uh, this, you know, catalog where you can buy these queer looking skinny jeans. You know, they don't get up and do that. Alright? That's that's not how they do it, but they set an example of it. Therefore teaching people how to do that. They're they're watching the leadership in the church. And when the leadership in the church is looking, dressing, acting like a bunch of queers, you can, you better believe the rest of the congregation is going to do it too. So that you know, they don't get up and verbally say these things. They don't get up and verbally go and say, "All right, let's go back and look at these Old Testament laws of fornication." Forget it, folks. It doesn't matter. But here's how they teach it: is when somebody's in the church, living in fornication, and they do nothing about it. They let the woman get up and sing a special in church. You know, they'll let the guy be an usher. They'll let him get up, read the scripture, or do whatever. They act like everything's fine, teaching everyone that it is fine without it ever coming out of their mouth. They teach it with their actions, is how they teach it. But true grace, or proper grace doctrine, will make you more godly, not less godly. And look at what it says in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, how do we know how to live soberly, righteously, and godly? How do we know how to live godly? What does that mean? Old Testament. Alright, if you don't know what it means to live godly, if you don't know what that looks like, then you need to go back to the Old Testament. That will help you. That will, that will teach you those things. Alright? I say walk in the Spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I, we shouldn't have to get specific, but if you're evil, we need to get specific and we can go back to the Old Testament. That's how you can figure it out. Okay? I don't think, I don't even think we really need to do that most of the time. Or we should, we shouldn't need to do that most of the time, but we often do because people are evil. And we're doing that looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify in Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Say, Pastor, that's not going to work. The Trinity's despises for preaching this way. I don't care. It's not going to influence me, though. That's what it means, let no man despise me. It's not, it's not going to influence me. I'll preach it anyway. I'm going to speak. I'm going to rebuke with all authority. I'm going to say, we're right. They're wrong. 
They were going against the Word of God. The Bible is very clear on that. And let me just throw this in here too for the old IFB. They think that looking for that blessed hope means looking for an imminent rapture. That blessed hope is the fact that I may not have to pay my bills tomorrow because I may not be here. That's what, they think. That's what the blessed hope means to them. Imminent rapture. It can come at any moment. Boy, some of you got that pain in your back right now. That could be gone tomorrow. If the trumpet sounds. Who knows? Be ready. Y'all worried you pay, how you're going to pay that mortgage, man. You, J.P. Morgan's going to be in trouble when the rapture comes. I'm going to tell you right now, once I go, I don't care what happens after that. My, that, that that's, their, that's their problem. Hey, man, you, well, y'all sitting there worried tonight about how you're going to pay your bills. You might not even have to worry about it tomorrow. Take no thought for tomorrow. Why don't you just go ahead and put your tithe in the offering? Y'all worried about your bills. You might not even have to pay tomorrow. Your rapture's going to come. You're going to stand before God with your tithe in your pocket. You know, I ain't worried about that because i got a blessed hope. I might not have to pay my bills tomorrow. But, wait, what is the blessed hope according to what it's been talking about here? It's that one day we will be like Christ. One of these days we'll have a glorified body. You know, one of these days this godliness that we're pursuing, this right physical righteousness that we're pursuing, one of these days we're going to have it. What this is teaching, that blessed hope is that one of these days what I'm striving to attain, it will be attained for me by Jesus Christ. The blessed hope is that we will be like Him someday. And you know what? We can start being like Him now if we will participate in the fellowship of His sufferings, if we'll be obedient to His Word. Where do you see Jesus sitting around just trying to escape things all the time? Okay? What do we see Him? I mean, He was always willing to just do the will of the Father. What's the will of the Father? And it often meant suffering for Him, but He did it anyway. Well, if your blessed hope it was right, it would be to be like Christ, you wouldn't mind the fellowship of His sufferings. Hey, this is what happened to Jesus. You wouldn't mind the fact that you were hated. You wouldn't be trying to figure out how to twist the Scriptures to make you more liked by the rest of the world because you have a blessed hope and as somebody who has that blessed hope that they're going to be like Christ someday, they're going to be working towards those things. So you know what you're going to do when you're persecuted? You're going to lead for joy. Man, that just made me more like Christ. That's going to make me more like Him. These sufferings that I'm going through, that's what the blessed hope is. And it's the grace of God that brings that teaches us to deny ungodliness. It teaches us to deny all those things that make us unlike Christ. That's what, that's what it does. That's what the blessed hope really is. The pre-tribbers have just absolutely destroyed teaching on the blessed hope. They've, they've absolutely destroyed it and they've, com- they've completely missed the boat on that doctrine. So you know, why would a saved person, why would saved people be interested in promoting that which almost destroyed us. Because this is what the trendies are doing. Look what it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 19. You know, why would someone who is saved encourage what condemned us? Think, think about that. Right? It says in Romans 6, 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' service to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' service to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye in those things, whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Notice what he said there. All right, how, how he mentions, what fruit had ye in those things, whereof ye are now ashamed? That's talking about the sins. That's talking about the sins, those wages of sin that bring death that he said right there in Romans 6.23. What fruit came from the sin that was in your life? That junk that you did before you got saved, what was the fruit, folks? You know what it was? It was a wage that I earned called death. All I was going to get for the sin that I did before Christ was an eternity in hell. And now I am ashamed of those things. Why would someone who has been spared the penalty of their sins encourage someone to continue in the things that condemn them? That doesn't make any sense. That would be like me getting up here and telling you all, 
acting like we're having church, and I'm up here telling you all about how I used to be a drunk. Man, I used to drink all the time. You know, my breakfast in the morning was beer. I was drunk before noon. I drank and drank. I beat my wife. I was always vomiting all over the place. My house reeked of beer. I'm, I'm talking about how, I mean, man, it just ruined my life. I finally, I went to rehab. I went to Reformers Unanimous and they helped me get off of it. And I ended up getting saved. And I, I thank God He delivered me from the bondage of alcohol. And what a great thing. And you all, you all love my testimony. You all give me a big love offering because I inspired you so much. And afterwards, and afterwards, to celebrate, we're all going to go to the bar and I'm going to buy you all a drink. Really? You're going to buy us a drink. You were talking about all the things you did as a drunk that you are now ashamed of. You're talking about the bondage you brought. You're talking about the price that came from it and now you're going to buy us a beer? That doesn't make any sense, folks. Let me ask you, why would somebody who has been delivered from the bondage of their sins, somebody who's had the penalty of their sins paid for, someone who is now ashamed of that sin to condemn them, encourage people in their church to continue in that sin. That makes no sense. That makes as much sense as a recovered alcohol alcoholic buying beer for everyone. It doesn't make any sense. And yet, that's what these people are doing. They're false prophets. They're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. They're making merchandise of people. Why? Because they're trying to damn the souls of these people. And so, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. The grace of God, it will cause us to be repulsed by the things of the world. First John 2, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why would we love those things? Those things of the world are what made it difficult for some people to get saved. Right. I, I'm not going to be able to enjoy my life in sin anymore. If I admit that that sin is going to get me, send me to hell, how can I enjoy that sin if I admit that Jesus Christ died a horrible death and a cross as payment for my sins? I can't enjoy that anymore. And you know what they do? They often go to darkness. Why? Because they love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And they don't want to come to that light lest their deeds should be reproved. It's hard to enjoy that sin when somebody's shining a light on it. And so, for people to, you know, to teach this kind of it doesn't make any sense. It goes completely against what the grace of God is. It's absolutely the opposite of what the grace of God teaches. It makes no sense. The grace of God it will cause us to not love the things of this world anymore. The grace of God will cause us to not want to be associated with what we came out of. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Every camp-eating preacher's favorite passage of Scripture, and I have showed over and over again how they're wrong in this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But you know that famous, that famous phrase, their answer for everything, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. Now, false doctrine has turned that phrase into a statement to prove that anyone could be saved. Okay? When somebody says, and such were some of you, that means they can, anybody can be saved. All right? That's how they've used that phrase. But when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he's asking the church why they would go to the lost for judgment. Why would you? Why would you go to law against your brother to the heathen? Why would you do that? That makes no sense. You're better off taking the least esteemed person in the church. The sorriest Christian that we have is better than the best that the heathen have to offer. That's what he's saying. He's putting a clear difference between saved people and these heathen. And he's telling them, why would you go to them? It makes no sense. We're going to judge angels one of these days. And these people that you're going to, don't you know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but you will inherit the kingdom of God. In fact, you're going to judge angels. That's what he's teaching. So why can't you judge the smallest matters? You're going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're going to judge angels. They're not. So why would we go to them over the people in our church? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. 
and such were some of you. Why did he say and such were some of you? You know what he was trying to do? He was trying to shame them for wanting to be involved with that group. That's why he says and such were some of you. Are you why do you want to be around those people? Do you realize what kind of people they are? Do you realize they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God while you are? Why would you want to be around them? Why would you want to go to them for judgment? And such were some of you. You know, he's reminding them of what they came out of. He's reminding them of that old crowd that they are now ashamed of. And one of the things that the grace of God is going to do, it's going to cause us to not be associated with what we came out of. Now let me ask you, why are the trendies so desperate to look like the world? You know, I, why, why does Pastor Polka not want to wear skinny jeans? Why does he want to appeal to these people? Doesn't he know that the effeminate are not going to inherit the kingdom of God? Hey, and such were some of you. You used to be from that crowd, and I don't know that he used to be in that crowd. Okay? He's probably somebody who grew up in church but is being seduced by that crowd. I don't know how. But the thing is, when we see people who came out of a wicked life wanting to associate with it, that's not normal. We would say, and such are some of you, you know how they are. You know what they're like. Why would you want to be around that? Because a person who's saved, a person who understands the grace of God is going to be repulsed by that. And there, and there, I see it all the time where people who got saved, whenever they you know, get around the people from their past, or they hear, they're often ashamed. Yeah, you know, they'll hear that music. It's something. Ugh, I used to listen to that. You know, they'll be there with their Christian friends, and they'll see the people out there dancing, dressing like a bunch of you know natives, and they'll look at that. And while they're around their other Christian friends, sometimes they get embarrassed. It's like you know, I used to do that. We were, I was, last night we we're having some fun with Karen memes. If you don't know what those are, you know. And I, and I was telling people, if you don't know what the Karen hairdo is, I can't really describe it to you. It's horrible. But um, I, I told people, I said, if you have some pictures of you with that Karen hairdo to share it on there, it's like people were embarrassed to do it. Alright? Why? <laughs> you know, because you're now ashamed of that. You know, well, it was the style back then. You know, never, until everybody learned that it's hideous. Some people haven't got the memo yet. Alright? Some people, some people have not got the memo. But the, the truth is, Often, when you come out, like for, you know, for example, too, you know, my parents, you know, they were in the seventies. When they look back at the pictures of how they dressed in the seventies, they're embarrassed. Okay? And if I saw my dad wearing some of the clothes that he wore in the seventies, you know, I'd be, Dad, <laughs> what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, and such were some of you. You used to be from that. How in the world are you going back to that? You know how ugly that generation was. You know how hideous their clothing was. Why would you go back to doing that? Okay, now unfortunately, about ten years ago or more, we had a big movement back to the '70s style, didn't we? Because of that stupid that '70s show. All the guys started bringing the shaggy hair back and the hideous clothes and things, and it was just like, how would anybody go back to that? And you know who many of the people were that complained when all that '70s stuff started coming back? It was people from the '70s. Why would, why would anybody do that? Man, I came out of that. <laughs> why would anybody go back to that? And I say all that to say, when we get saved out of something, there, there should be no desire to go back to that and to promote that. And there will be if we're walking in the flesh, but if we're filled with the Spirit, if we're growing in grace, growing in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, as we learn more about Christ, the more we're going to realize how stupid that was. The more we're going to realize how foolish it was when we lived that way. Why did we ever do that? Because no, that's the people you came from. That was your culture. Such were some of you. You came out of that. Why would you go back to that? Why would you even want to be around that? You should be embarrassed by that group. If you were a former hippie, okay, you should be embarrassed and your face should turn red every time you see a hippie. Right? Because in such for some of you. And if I see you going to those people for judgment and for advice, what's wrong with you? You know, the grace of God, if you're saved, it's going to take you farther away from that. 
You're going to want to distance yourself far from that. First, one of the things you're going to do, the grace of God's going to teach you after you come out of the 70s, is go get a steak and a haircut to start using some deodorant. You know, to start, you know, to, to just to go get a job, to stay off drugs. That's what it's going to, that's what the grace of God is going to teach you. But the key is growing in grace, and the key to growing in grace is growing in knowledge of Jesus Christ. If I'm looking forward to Jesus Christ, if I'm looking for that blessed hope. What does the blessed hope look like? Well, it's when the cloud splits open and we're caught up in the sky. No, 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 no. No. Here's what the blessed hope looks like. A body for us that's like Christ. Now, that happens at the rapture. That happens when we see Him, we'll be like Him for you. We'll see Him as He is. But here's what the blessed hope looks like. It looks like Jesus Christ. It's exactly what it looks like. So, how do I look for that blessed hope? I study the Bible to find out what Christ is like. And I try to be that way. That's what that is. And grace will help me with that because I always fail. I'm always going to mess up. I'm not totally like Him. But grace will take up. Where sin abounded, grace is much more about. But understand, I'm pursuing something. I'm not pursuing sin. I'm pursuing Christ. And even though I fail, even though I always come short, grace covers me. But if I'm pursuing sin... I'm not covered by grace in that situation. I'm going to get chastised. I'll still go to heaven. Grace has me covered. I'm still going to go to heaven, but it's not going to spare me the chastisement. But if the Lord sees me trying my best to be like Him, doing things from the heart, from the Spirit, even though I will never measure up to Him, I will avoid chastisement. You all understand that the difference there? And grace teaches us that. So the reason we need to focus on Christ instead of the law is because the law condemns us. It's just a reminder of how we always fail. We'll never be able to check everything off the list. We're just going to have that big report card in our face all the time that says F. That's what the law is. It's a reminder of our F- minus that we all have. But God does not want us living in F-. minus. Yes, we got an F. But know what He wants us to do? He wants us to forget about those things that are behind and look forward to Him. And just every day, do our best to be like Him. And when we fail in areas of the law, just stay focused on Him and grace will cover us. Grace will, grace will take care of those things. And when we fail His love, it will motivate us to just get up and keep on moving forward. I, just want, to, I want to be a little more like Christ tomorrow than I am today. That needs to be the goal. If I'm a little more like Him tomorrow than I am today, I'm still going to be a sinner tomorrow. I'm still going to come short of the glory of God tomorrow. I'm still going to be a failure tomorrow, but I'm going to be a little better than I was today. And then hopefully I'll be a little better the next day. And either way, I'm going to keep moving forward and I'm going to keep doing this. The grace of God is going to teach me to keep on trying to be like Christ until my blessed hope. When I am like Christ. Not when I escape my bills. Not when I escape persecution. When I am like Christ. Christ. So I hope that helps you understand the difference between true grace and false grace. Let's pray to your Lord. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your grace, Lord. I'm so thankful to know that when I come short, which is all the time, Lord, your grace makes up for it. And we thank you for that. But Lord, I pray you'll help us to allow grace to teach us the things it's supposed to teach. I pray you'll help us to strive to be more like you. Help us to study the law, Lord, not so we can figure out who's wrong and who's right. Not so we can uh, you know, hold it against other people but so we can just know how to be more like You. So we can learn more about You. And I pray You'll help us to uh, make a difference and help us to be looking for that blessed hope. In Your name we pray. Amen.